See house? It's almost 11. Where is house? I've been busy. Then what? You. To my right or am I right? everybody uh this is dr sean stringer here at uh and you're going to be watching this on trust me i'm a doctor podcast and also uh listening to this live on or, or not live but you're going to listen to this recorded on uh the body mind health hour on wslr 96.5 uh, lp fm sarasota and 100.1 lp fm brainton 
uh, I have a special guest on with me today, Dell Bigtree. And I'll tell you a little bit about Dell. Um, Dell is a medical journalist um, and also a producer on the TV show, The Doctors, as everybody knows. He's an Emmy, Emmy Award winning uh, producer. He also produced a movie called Vaxxed, which I had the pleasure of seeing, um, oh gosh, coming up a little over a year ago when it first launched, uh, Sarasota being the second city in which it launched. And uh, let's just dive right into it, Dell. Uh, right. Uh, let's talk about vaccine safety. Okay. <laughs> yes. Or the lack thereof, actually. Or the lack thereof, yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you want to? Do you have a specific place you want to go? Because I could go on for days about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about because I have a lot of people that hound me because I decided I didn't want to vaccinate my children. Mm -hmm. I'm originally a chiropractor by okay. training. Now I do functional medicine, and I'm like a healthcare consultant and coach to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But um, and I just believe the body uh, that body can heal itself. But let's go into the safety because a lot of people bring up the issues of vaccinations and uh, how they've warded off disease all these years. So let's go into that a little bit. Okay. So, yeah, the argument is, you know, what about polio and smallpox? And if you don't vaccinate, we're going to see a return of these diseases. And the argument is that, you know, we've eradicated all these infectious diseases. Why would anyone not vaccinate or put people at risk for those infectious diseases? So there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And again, to stress, you know, I didn't want to get into this discussion. I had a really great career. I do not, I no longer am a producer on the talks of the doctors where I worked for six years uh, and won an Emmy award. So my background is in investigative medical journalism. I've been writing for the doctor's panel, you know, things that they had to say. You had to sort of read medical journals and, and, I celebrate the best that medicine has to offer, the best science, best surgeries. You know, I am a fan of science, and I want to state that up front, that I really believe in science, great science, and there's scientific method to how we prove that theories and hypotheses, you know, there's a way that science is supposed to be done. And when I got involved with the backstory, which was a whistleblower at the CDC, my whole world changed. Everything that I believed was taking place in vaccine safety science slowly unraveled before my eyes and I just couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop reading medical journals and studies and you know, interviewing doctors and surgeons. And I have even, I have sat across the table from the head of the National Institute of Health um, and heads of CDC and HHS. My journey has taken me all the way to the top people in this industry. So when I talk about this topic, it comes from a very serious uh, investigation I've been involved with, with for a couple of years. Now that doesn't mean you're supposed to just believe me. Um, I think that my ultimate goal is to make, you know, help people ask the correct questions so they can think for themselves. We find ourselves in this position because no one is thinking for themselves anymore. They have just decided that doctors know everything, we know nothing, and because of that, I shouldn't question everything. Obviously, it's for the greatest good. Obviously, they know what's best for me, better than I do, and my health, so I'm just going to defer to my doctor. That is why we find ourselves in what I think is a terrifying and tragic situation. So that's a little bit off topic. Let me get back to infectious disease. Now, my, my journey on this and my question to everybody is, 
let's go ahead and assume that it's true that polio was eradicated by vaccines and that um, smallpox, you know, if that's true, then, and, and we say, okay, what was the cost of that? And was it the greatest thing that was the greatest invention of the 21st century? Well, the 20th century actually is what they say. So polio, first of all, had huge, huge side effects that that vaccine knowingly has been reported gave hundreds of millions of people cancer because there was a simian virus, a monkey virus that got into the vaccine because they grew the polio vaccine essentially on monkey kidneys. Uh, that's known. They've tried to fix that. We also know that polio in its original form of the vaccine caused polio for countless numbers of people. Smallpox, very much the same. The smallpox uh, vaccine caused outbreaks of smallpox in areas that never would have seen smallpox. So people died from these vaccines at really large numbers, but we had a crisis going on. We were terrified of these diseases. They were very, very dangerous or seemed to be. And so we took on the risks of these vaccines. Now, my question really is, is, you know, since every vaccine has a risk like that, we've never figured out. I think that there was a dream that somehow as things modernized, we would figure out how to take the risk out of vaccines, how to keep people from getting cancer from a vaccine or getting the disease itself. The fact is that the only cases of polio now in the world are being caused by the vaccine. That's not me saying it. That's the World Health Organization that they don't know what to do in the Middle East where they're using it, in places in Africa, they're getting polio epidemics that are being caused by the vaccine itself. So that's something to, to weigh in here. But my question is this, is number one, those were very dangerous times. We lived in a serious crisis. We also had really dangerous living conditions when we talk about smallpox. We didn't have toilets and running water at that point. Uh, and a lot of diseases that we have had then, I don't think really exist now. Diphtheria, tetanus, these, these things really require horse manure all through your streets and children playing in feces. That's why we had epidemics like that. So, and, and, you know, smallpox the same. I mean, just super deplorable living conditions. So the question really is, is did the vaccine eradicate that disease or was it the fact that we finally got clean running water and got rid of filth in our streets? That's one point. But the other is, is we know that those vaccines were dangerous. We know they destroyed the lives of a lot of people, but we took on that, that danger because of the crisis we were in. My question is, is, if measles vaccine is also dangerous, are we in a crisis? Is measles the same thing as smallpox? Is chickenpox or, or rotavirus the same thing as polio? Um, rotavirus, by the way, something that essentially gives babies diarrhea for three or four days. It's disconcerting as a parent to have to deal with it. But in a country, as I point out, with clean running water, you don't have you know you don't have deaths from rotavirus um but and and by the way i i toured um the gates foundation and their vaccine department that's exactly what they said to me i found it ironic they said well one of our biggest programs is to spread rotavirus vaccine all over africa and the lady actually said i mean rotavirus isn't a problem here in america because we have clean running water but where you don't have clean running water a diarrhea you know a disease that gives you diarrhea can actually kill and I found it interesting that that was that she made that justification. But we do give that vaccine here. We give a third world vaccination. And here's the problem. Rotavirus causes intussusception. It's a known fact. It's written right on the insert of the vaccine. Intussusception means 
the intestines of your baby roll over on themselves and it can kill. It's known to kill. So we are taking a vaccine for a trivial diarrhea problem that risks the death of your child. Um, we have, so, and I look at measles and I say, well, okay, measles was a Brady Bunch episode in the 1960s. Everyone laughed about the whole family getting measles and she's just checking it off the board. It got that one out of the way and everybody's happy-go-lucky and the kids are saying, isn't this great? We get to stay home from school. But over time, the pharmaceutical industry has made measles into a black plague. Mm -hmm. um, the actual facts of the matter when you investigate it is one in 500,000 people in America died uh, each year from measles before the vaccine ever arrived. I mean, that's, that's zero. One in 500,000 more people, you know, step in front of cars or do various other things. So, you know, so then I ask if measles is causing autism. And we've eradicated this infectious disease. We're attempting to eradicate this infectious disease, measles. But our adverse side effect is that you will have a lifelong debilitating neurological disorder or a lifelong debilitating immune uh, disorder. Then have we won? And if we're going to take on the risks of vaccines, certainly shouldn't we ask ourselves how dangerous is the disease we're talking about? Because they are. Vaccines are dangerous. They always have been. They always will be. They have never figured out. And I, and I talk to a lot of politicians, and I, I say it this way when I sit down with them. I say, look, it, you've been told that this issue is that vaccines are safe and effective, and anybody that challenges that is crazy. And let me just be really clear what I'm going to talk to you about today. We know that we have never found a substance. We've never had a drug or a vaccine, something we inject into human beings, that some people don't have an allergic reaction to and die, like penicillin. I say, would you mandate penicillin on every single person that gets an infection in America? And they always say, well, no. I say, well, why? Well, because some people would die. They're allergic to it. I say, right. What makes you think vaccines are any different? We have never found a substance we can inject into everybody where certain people don't die. I'll take it a step further. We have actually never found a piece of food on the face of the planet that everyone can eat and someone won't die. So, you know, my issue and what I'm going to discuss today is what I say to politicians is not whether vaccines are safe or not, because I just proved to you, if you have any logic whatsoever, that people will die from vaccines. My question in my discussion today is how many people will die? And where is your threshold of tolerance to accept the number of people that will die and have neurological disorders and autoimmune disorders for life, be debilitated for life? Where is your threshold? Because if you're saying you accept it, you have to be able to give me a number. And that's the problem I have. I have talked to heads of health departments, and I say, you know for a fact children will be murdered this year by our vaccine program. I know that's a heavy word, but a perfectly healthy, innocent child that was running around the day before saying, hi, mommy, I love you, I love you, daddy. If anyone questions that, go look at Nick Catone's story, the MMA fighter that's all over the internet now. His baby at 20 months died after a DTaP vaccine. That was a perfectly healthy child, as many of them are. And we murdered them for the sake of, I guess, herd immunity. And, and so I say to the, a health official, you know children will be murdered this year by the vaccine. You know that children will have brain swelling and will have neurological disorders the rest of their lives. You know others will have autoimmune diseases and demyelinating conditions. And my question to you as the head of a health line, I actually posed this in Washington. 
how do you accept that as a doctor? How do you accept that when you sign the Hippocratic Oath that said to do no harm? Not some harm, not harm to just the smallest group of people, to do no harm. And they will always say, well, that's the accepted casualty of herd immunity. Meaning, in order to protect everybody, some people have to die and be injured. That's just the way it is. Yes. So then I say, give me the number. Give me the number then. If it's an, you just said it's an accepted casualty, please tell me what that accepted casualty, what can I expect? How many kids will die next year and how many will be permanently injured? And you know what they say every time? We don't have the data on that. That's why I'm here. You don't have the data on that in the modern world where we have computers and science and technology coming out of our ears. We have cars that can drive themselves down the road and you can't figure out a data equation for how many kids will be destroyed, and then you tell me you're a scientist, and you say accepted casualty, but you don't know the number you're accepting. That's a pretty large answer to my issue with how they look at what vaccines have accomplished. If you don't look at the problems, you can say they're great. If you stick your head in the sand, you can say they're amazing. If you only look at the positive attributes, great. If you only look at the positive attributes of penicillin and you don't care that it kills some people, you never go out of your way to stop killing people with penicillin, which we have done. We've figured out ways to figure out whether you're allergic and have other ways to do it. But we refuse to do that for vaccines and that's a crime. Yeah, it's it's a friendly fire mentality. I I'm, I can accept a certain amount of friendly fire, but what's that acceptable number? And that's the thing is, just in the last month, I've taken on five new autism patients. All of them were vaccination injuries. Some of them were injured before they started progressing. Parents were forced, uh, like, or persuaded to, like, you need to do a flu vaccine on top of it. Boom, child regressed all the way back. It's even worse from what they were after the initial uh, injury. And so I see it. Um, I see all these autoimmune diseases they come in, and I totally get it with you. It's like, what is the acceptable number? I mean, isn't it true that on these vaccinations that there was already a decline by the time the vaccination came out? There was a decline on the Oh, occurrence? yeah. I mean, depending on what disease you look at, like I said, measles was once fairly deadly and dangerous, but by before the vaccine ever came out, and I think 1961, 62, if you look at the CDC's consensus data, one in 500,000 died, or, you know, one, I think it's roughly one in 10,000 that even got the disease uh, would die. And, and obviously that's like people that were very, very sick and weak already probably dying of something else, but it gets categorized with measles, but the, the, the decline had already gone like this and then the vaccine arrives. And then polio had a different trick. There was several things that changed in our environment at the exact same moment the vaccine came online. We also stopped using DDT, which was proving to cause all sorts of, you know, spinal and other issues where kids were dancing in the streets and breathing this stuff. DDT disappeared. And also, ironically enough, they changed the definition of polio the moment the vaccine came online. So it's very quickly. So you see how you mathematically make the product look better than it is. If polio, which it was up until the vaccine, if you were paralyzed, you had to have a visit within 24 hours, two visits. In the morning, you were paralyzed. Tomorrow morning, we return. You're still paralyzed or having trouble moving limbs. You have polio. Okay, so then the moment the vaccine came online, they suddenly changed the rules. You had to wait six weeks. You had to have paralysis on day one, and then six weeks later, check in if you still had paralysis 
then it was considered polio. So all these cases that would clear up over the course of three or four or five days, which happened all the time, that was no longer considered polio. So you would immediately see this huge drop just by that reclassification. And ironically enough, I find this to be incredibly ironic. Uh, the man responsible for a polio vaccine that wanted one out in public was President Roosevelt, because we all know he was in a chair because he had polio and he wanted other people to be healed. Well, now scientists have looked at all of his medical records and determined that actually he did not have polio. He had Guillain-Barre syndrome. Given the age with which he got it, the description of how it traveled through his body and where it affected his limbs, they now know it was Guillain-Barre syndrome. So here's what's really fascinating if you think about that. I, as a journalist, think I always ask questions. These are the questions I'm trying to teach you to ask. Is if the president of the United States, responsible for creating the polio vaccine, I'm assuming he had the best doctors in the country. I mean, you're talking about the president of the United States. This wasn't just some kid that wandered into you know, a side clinic. This is the president of the United States. The best doctors in the world misdiagnosed him with polio. And so when we look at the drop in the numbers of polio, look what we've done. I have to go with the numbers that all of the doctors at that time put out. And I have to put that through the filter that the best there were got it wrong. So what about the doctors that were you know, diagnosing every single kid that came into a side clinic and putting them in metal braces, whether they needed them or not? How good were they at it? If the best doctors in the world got it wrong, how were your average doctors that were involved with this around the country? Those are questions that really I find extremely alarming. Um, and I think those are questions people have to ask. If you could have three magical wishes <laughs> as it relates as it relates to vaccinations, vaccination safety, what would those be? Um, number one, I want to see the vaccine safety program taken outside of health and human services where it currently uh, exists. The problem we have is that we have a conflict of interest. Health and human services has to do several things. It has to promote the vaccine program. Our government believes vaccines are the greatest invention of the 20th century and health and human services under, so just so you know, health and human services oversees FDA, CDC, HHS, um, I mean, um, HRSA and NIH, National Institute of Health. So all of those groups work at promoting vaccines all over the country, making sure, and they buy, by the way, the CDC buys, purchases, $5 billion worth of vaccines every year and distributes them. So HHS and CDC, their affiliate, are actually a distribution arm for the vaccine industry. Now, when you give them um, the job of testing whether they're safe, I want you to think about how that goes on. So this group that has to promote vaccines, and that's their job, they also have to decide whether they're safe. So what happens if you do a safety study that suddenly, as Vax points out, you have five scientists that discover, oh my God, it looks like the MMR vaccine causes autism. Well, if we tell the public that we've discovered it causes autism, we're going to go against our primary objective, which is to promote vaccines, because certainly some people will stop vaccinating because of their fear of vaccines. So that conflict of interest is, is terrible. There's another conflict of interest that goes even deeper. Health and Human Services is responsible for defending vaccines in court, whether people know it or not. Vaccines are one of the only products in the country that you cannot sue if they injure you. This is because of the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Act passed by Ronald Reagan. Essentially, the pharmaceutical industry 
was getting so many lawsuits from vaccines that they blackmailed Ronald Reagan and said, we're going to just stop making all vaccines. If you think they're important, we're going to stop making them unless you protect us completely from liability. He didn't want to do it. He saw the dangers in an industry that was injecting children with products that would no longer have to be tested because they would have no liability. But he did it reticently for multiple different reasons. But now, since we can't sue the industry itself, like a car seat, imagine a car seat that keeps failing kids dying, but you can't sue the car seat maker. Do you think they'd ever fix it? Airbags that do not deploy when you're in an accident or brakes that fail. If the auto industry could not be sued, do you think we'd ever see that car progress? Would we see airbags get better? Would there be any desire to make a better product? Why would you waste the money? You're making all the money you need. So that's what's happened with vaccines. And what's happened is now when you sue, if you suddenly are paralyzed the day after getting a flu shot or your relative dies after a vaccine happens and it goes to court, but it doesn't go to a regular court, it goes to what they call the vaccine court. And in that court, the defendant who you were suing is Health and Human Services itself, actually the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And do you know who they use as lawyers to fight you and prove that you're wrong? The Department of Justice lawyers. So your government is gonna fight you to prove that you're lying that the vaccine caused the issue you have. And the only way you can win is to use the science. You have to prove scientifically through studies that have been done that here, look, this study shows that this injury can happen because of a vaccine. And so who's doing those studies? The defendant is the one left doing the studies you need to prove your case. This is like having the murderer in a case, the one doing all of the forensics. So that is why you have got to take vaccine safety out of this group who are doing a job that they need to do. But we need to put it into a separate group. This has already happened with the National Transportation Safety Board. Same thing. They decided that, look, we can't have the makers of airplanes and uh, you know the body that promotes airplane travel all over the country be the same ones that investigate a crash. We're just not going to get good information on whether the plane was what failed or what happened. So we moved it out separately. Same thing with the Nuclear Regulatory Agency. We decided that as we're promoting nuclear energy in America, that we probably were running into problems that the safety testing wasn't going right because it was going against the promotion. So let's take nuclear safety regulation and put it in its own group. So I want vaccine safety moved into its own department firewalled against the industry. I want well-paid scientists, and I don't want them to be able to leave that job. I want five years before they can go and work for Merck or Sanofi Aventis or any of the people that they're investigating. Because when we look at Vax and the story we tell of William Thompson, we know that the head of the CDC during this study that I believe is a fraud and our film proves to be a fraud and 10,000 documents Dr. Thompson provides as a whistleblower proves is a fraud, that the head of the CDC, Dr. Julie Gerberding, who oversaw that fraud, which exonerated Merck's vaccine MMR, she went on after leaving, one year later after leaving the CDC, became the head of Merck's vaccine department, president of the vaccine department for a multi-million dollar deal and unbelievable amounts of stock options. With a revolving door like that, we are in serious trouble. How are we ever gonna find out if the vaccine is dangerous? Or was I supposed to come up with two other points? You're probably thinking, God, this guy can really talk. Um, so, so that'd be number one. Number two, 
after we've removed it and put vaccine safety outside of uh, the HHS, I want the 1986 Compensation Act amended. I want liability put back on the vaccine industry, the vaccine makers. They have a multi-billion dollar industry that's turning into a multi-trillion dollar industry. Certainly, they can have the same responsibility they have on every other drug they make. Every drug they make, you can sue. You see the ads, the law ads. If you've been injured by FenFen, if you were killed by Vioxx or your relative, we've all seen it happens every day. I want the same thing available for vaccines. I think that we're in a dangerous position. I can't trust an industry that has not had to evolve their product in the last you know, 100 years because simply they just have no liability. So I think that the easiest way in, in sort of a, in a market economy is to just put the, make the industry responsible for its product. I think by doing that, I know that the moment you did that, if you said you're liable for your own product, you would have probably six to 10 at least of the current 16 vaccines given in 72 doses to our kids taken off the schedule because they're too dangerous and they know it. Um, and then I think I had, those are, those are two big ones. How about studies? Well, right, let's say, so third, um, and then thank you for uh, mentioning studies. Third, I believe that there's only one study every single person in America should be demanding, whether you believe in vaccines or not. And that's the vaxxed versus unvaxxed stuff. We hear a light of hyperbole from all sides. I mean, look, at the, both sides are entrenched. We all have biases. You know, it's unavoidable. That's what we are as human beings. So how do you figure out if you have a problem? How do you figure out if vaccines are really as great as they're touted to be? You know, it, it can only happen if we figure out what's the base, what's the baseline, where are we at? You know, so I want the vaxxed versus unvaxxed study. That means... Let's take a look, and, and it's very easy to do this. The Institute of Medicine has looked at a database that sits at the, that the CDC's in control of. It's called the Vaccine Safety Data Link. It has over 10 million people in it, including unvaccinated people. So it'd be very, very easy to just put on a graph all of the people that have been vaccinated and all the people that have been unvaccinated and ask a series of questions. What is the rate of autism? What is the rate of multiple sclerosis? What is the rate of asthma? What is the rate of ADD, ADHD? What is the rate of diabetes? What is the rate of leukemia and childhood cancers? On and on and on and on. And it's just, it's just a bunch of data and the computers are fully capable now of just going, bam, here's your answer. And we can look at the answers and say, are vaccinated children in fact healthier? Uh, and the reason why I am suspect is we have now seen about three really privately done vax versus unvax studies. The most recent one was of homeschoolers in America. And what they discovered was exactly what those people that have seen injury in their families suspected. That the, un, the vaccinated children had lower rates in this study of, of chickenpox and of measles, that the unvaccinated kids did get more measles and more chickenpox. But the vaccinated children also had 30 times the amount of um, rhinitis allergy, uh, four times the amount of um, autism, uh, roughly four times the amount of neurological disorders, somewhere around four or five times the amount of autoimmune disorders, and the list went on and on and on. And what we're seeing, there's a really famous study that just came out also in Africa, looking at a DTaP a DTP vaccination program from 30 years ago. They retrospectively looked back and discovered that the kids that were getting the DTP vaccine in Africa 
were dying at 10 times the rate of those that did not get the vaccine. And so what you come to is the conclusion, and, and by the way, they did not die of diphtheria, tetanus, or pertussis, which is what the vaccine was for. They died of other issues, malaria or, you know, brain, you know, other problems, paralysis. And so what the scientist came to the conclusion is that it does appear that you may be protecting against these diseases with the vaccines, but we must be somehow hurting the immune system that it can't fight off these other diseases and therefore you start dying at higher numbers. So we have got to do this in this country. So our question is, is if you look back 30 years on a program in, in, in Africa and discover, oh my God, that vaccine was deadly. Do we have a program in place in America, a surveillance program that would somehow detect the 72 vaccines we're giving to our kids, that maybe the combination of some of them, or one of them by themselves, or the combination inside the vaccine of three different diseases, that somehow, at least for some subgroup, it's deadly. How would we figure that out? Well, the way you figure that out is by simply comparing vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And this is something that's been requested for decades now. And the Institute of Medicine weighed in in the 90s on this. But they, by the way, are our Nobel laureates, our private group of scientists that with CDC attention, you know, and occasionally will say, will you look into this? And they said, you can use the VSD to do a vax versus unvax study. And until you do, we really don't know uh, where we're at on these diseases. And instead of doing the vax versus unvax study that the Institute of Medicine requested the CDC, the CDC actually took the VSD, this vaccine safety data link, and they moved it into a private corporation. Why do they do that? All of a sudden, why move it out of a government agency and put it into a private company? Because we, as you know, journalists and scientists, could have used FOIA requests, that's the Freedom of Information Act request, to access the data to do studies just like we want to do. But if it's in a private company, we can't touch it. How that's even legal, I don't know. And how no one is suspicious of that or not enough people is shocking. And I think mostly people just don't realize all this is going on. Do you think the uh, current administration is uh, a little bit more pro? Uh, pro in the sense of um, people have a choice, they could not vaccinate or vaccinate, or do you, th I, I don't know because I've really, in order to reduce my stress as an individual, I kind of don't watch that much news anymore. Yeah. I will watch certain feeds like yours as it comes up, but I want to know yeah. your opinion as it relates to the current political situation. Well, in this case, this is just my opinion. Um, we, there's not some definitive proof or something that's happened, but I do know that Donald Trump is the only presidential candidate that really came out and said, I know vaccines cause autism uh, and did it several times and has questioned other things like flu shots when he's sitting in old folks' homes and things like that. We've seen this happen on the news. So that's about, you've seen it, I've seen it. That's about all I really have to go on. I also know that Donald Trump set up meetings uh, privately with the head of the National Institute of Health and, and, and Health and Human Services representatives, a panel of really of our top health agencies for Bobby Kennedy. After the moment where there was this idea, is Bobby Kennedy going to be made the um, uh, head of a vaccine commission and everyone went crazy and Trump's people sort of backed away. I know for a fact that after that, he set up meetings with a uh, Trump um, representative because I was there and they did happen. So the fact that he would even allow us in to really question the heads of state and the health departments, um, you know, leads me to believe that there is some thought there that this should at least be being looked at. Whereas, 
you know, Hillary Clinton will post time and time again, vaccines are safe and effective, get your damn vaccine, however she puts it. So um, I don't, you know, and it's dangerous because, you know, to Donald Trump is a, obviously a, he, he owns every news cycle there is by the way that he approaches this presidency. So I can't speak to anything other than the fact that um, I think that this movement is stronger right now, given that he's in office. We're not under, I don't feel like we're under attack by the presidency where we would have been um, with Hillary Clinton. And, and I'm saying that as a lifelong progressive liberal Democrat, by the way. What's your biggest struggle as it pertains to getting the word out right now? The media. Um, I think that uh, in the end, one of the greatest, and, and I think this vaccine issue really is just, it's just a really, really clear example of what's gone wrong in America. Um, I think that that's why I'm drawn to it and why I'm really sort of addicted to my investigation. I mean, I'm just a journalist. And when you, you know, you study journalism, you look at, you know, you, you go through school and you think, you know, the um, Watergate will never happen again. I mean, that would be so awesome to discover a, a Watergate or something like that. And then you stumble onto a story like this and you can't get off of it. Um, but the media, we can't get a Woodward and Bernstein to report on this issue. Nobody went and reported on a top scientist. One of our five top scientists in vaccine safety at the CDC came forward and said vaccines are causing autism. We've lied to the public. Here's 10,000 documents. He provided them to Congressman Bill Posey. Bill Posey stood before our Congress and said, I have sat with this man for hours in an interview. It has alarming things to say. These documents and my scientific body is looking at them. We, American public is trusting us. We need to subpoena Dr. William Thompson and the other scientists that he alleges were a part of this fraud. That was over, I think, three years ago now, two years ago now, certainly. And nothing, Congress hasn't subpoenaed them, but even worse, nobody in the news seems to care. Nobody in any, not Fox, not MSNBC, nobody seems to care that one of our top scientists have come forward, who, by the way, still works at the CDC, protected by um, a whistleblower status, and is lauded as having been on, you know, in part of some of our most important vaccine research and won awards for it his whole career. Why doesn't the news want to tell that story? Why aren't they investigating it? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they are owned and their salaries come from the pharmaceutical industry. People say, oh my God, it's a conspiracy. Oh, now he's a conspiracy theorist. No, no, actually you can look up the records. And if you look up the records of all of your television stations, you will find that nearly 75% of most of your major stations, their advertising is coming from the pharmaceutical industry. That means that every talk show host, whether it was Bill O'Reilly or Rachel Maddow or you name it, their salary is paid by the pharmaceutical industry. And if you have a story that goes against their profits and what they want you to believe about the safety of a product, do you think you can get that anchor to say it? Do you think the reporter holds on to their job if they just sneak in that story? You'll watch it, you've seen it, you see people lose their jobs over this issue. That's because their boss is the most powerful lobby in the country, not just of media. Now they also, so since they own 75% of the television you watch and the time that you watch it, and you can test that just by watching, counting the ads, count the ads between the, whatever you're watching. How many ads for Viagra or Lunesta or, you know, with this ridiculous long ticker tape of side effects that you go, who the heck would buy that? And you kind of giggle to yourself. You got to stop giggling. It's terrifying. 
That is owning what was supposed to be a free news media that could inform you when you were being poisoned. And now they are part of marketing it to you. Sanjay Gupta will tell you vaccines have been proven safe and effective. I can tell you they have not. I can point to the records from our Institute of Medicine. You can see the CD. I mean, look at just what was it, two weeks ago. CDC scientists did a study looking at flu vaccination in pregnant women. And the study came out to their surprise that there was a seven-fold increase of miscarriage in pregnant women that got the vaccine in their first trimester, specifically those that had had the vaccine one year earlier. So if you got it a second time in your first trimester, seven times more likely to miscarry. It was all over the news. And what did the news tell you? Well, you got to kind of look at this the right way. And we still recommend the vaccine while we do other studies that should have answers by 2019. So go ahead and continue to put your baby at risk and your life, you know, the, the, the future of your family at risk because we're going on a hunch that that's wrong. Even though the best scientists we know ran this study and the data every way we look at it proves to be true. And now you got to wait a couple more years. I mean, that's where we're at. And they did it right before your eyes. And if you didn't scream up and get up and punch your television right there, then you know it was a test. You are asleep at the wheel. You have bought into the fact that whatever you're told is going to dictate what you do. That has been the concept of every science fiction book and movie ever made. And I think it's happening right before our eyes. If you watch that on NBC and you said, oh, Seven-fold increase in miscarriage, but they told me it's still okay. I'm going to get it. I don't know what to do for you. I wish I could just come out and just give you a little slap, try and wake you up, because that is only the tip of the iceberg. Maybe in the future we'll have 3D uh, interactive television where you'll be able to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I see this as like uh, our, co our common day version of the cholesterol myth, where um, – eating fat will cause heart attacks but as we looked into the investigation there's no research back then uh same thing you're going through right now all the scientists said the scientists at the time that studied it said you know what fat doesn't make you fat this is totally wrong if you really push people to a high grain diet and this the same thing and now we're now starting to come out of this i don't know six, 60 70 years later you know just because ansel keys really pushed it through Congress and got McGovern and some of those other people behind him at the time. And uh, same thing. It's just, it's just everything repeats in a cycle. That's that's what I think. People have to think about the fact you have to think about, you know, you, you always in journalism or in any major story, we all know that the line is follow the money. You have to follow the money. If you're going to try and figure out what's going on, what is the motivation in a murder, everything. The first thing we look at is where is there money involved? Where would money have influenced this issue? And then when you look at Washington, you discover that pharma is now the number one lobby there. Yeah. Uh, over guns and bombs, over oil and gas, pharma is outspending. It's the second lowest oil and gas, Exxon Mobil and BP and all of it. Pharma is outspending them two to one. Wow. Twice as much money is going into your politicians, into buying your next president, your next senator. And you've got to ask yourself, what are they doing there? Like, why would a product my doctor is recommending to me, why would you need a lobby talking to politicians about that? And, you know, what's alarming and bothersome for me is, you know, I was a Bernie Sanders fan. I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not, I'm, by the way, I'm no longer political for these reasons. 
I am totally dismayed at the entire system. But Bernie Sanders would come out and vocally lambaste the lobby, pharma lobby, saying this is a dangerous lobby and we have got to get in control of the lobbies that are controlling our politics. He blamed Hillary Clinton from taking too much money from them. Yet, when asked about vaccines, oh, they're the greatest invention of the 20th century, everybody should be vaccinated. I don't understand. I don't understand the disconnect. Bernie, yeah. what is it you think they're doing there? They're not just selling OxyContin. In fact, they can be sued for OxyContin. Maybe they're trying to get a law like the vaccine law where you can't be sued for OxyContin too. But here's what you're watching happen. All of a sudden, while they're buying more and more politicians, we're seeing more and more laws to take away your right to choose whether to vaccinate or not, like California where I live. SB 277 took away the rights of parents. You now have to give your child 72 vaccines if they're going to be allowed into a public or a private school. And now they're talking about trying to get homeschoolers too. And so when you, and you see this happening, they went after Texas, Texas beat it back. They're gonna go after Virginia, it's happening all over the country. And so think about it, people, what is happening there? Why vaccines? You know, they go, oh, vaccines don't make money. That's not true. Vaccines, the, the HPV vaccine, just to show you the money, here's the perspective. HPV vaccine, which is really the newest vaccine in the program, um, they're trying to get it mandated for all 9 to 24-year-old boys and girls. It says it on the CDC website. This is our target group for an issue that 95% of people clear from their body naturally without any vaccine or anything at all. We naturally clear HPV. And of that remaining 5%, only 5% of them, so I mean, what a point zero wherever you're at, actually have HPV turn into cervical cancer. And in the United States of America, if you get a pap smear, cervical cancer cannot kill you. They go in, they cut it out, and done deal. So you have zero real danger with this, but we are pushing this vaccine. Why? Because it's going to make a lot of money. Nine to 24 year old boys and girls is roughly 75 million people. At $405 or wherever, roughly between four and $500 per vaccine uh, scheduled for those people. You were talking about an, in, you know, a company, one company, Merck, if it was mandated to that group, could make $30 billion in one year in America alone. So I ask you, what do you think Merck's lobby is doing in Washington? Do you think they're really just trying to get another drug on the market or make sure it gets there faster? Maybe, but they would love to make $30 billion off of 270 vaccines that are in the pipeline that you haven't been told about. Thousands of vaccine safety, uh, vaccine trials that are going on. Not safety, there's a total slip up. They do no safety. And that's a, another story we could get into. But we have a ocean of vaccines coming our way for all the reasons I've already said. You cannot be sued, so it's the best product they've got, every other product that can be sued for. Uh, you have a government that will force it on the people. There's not a drug that's forced onto you yet, thank God. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately, they don't have to do any safety testing uh, for all the reasons I said. Both the industry are free from liability and the health agencies refuse to do the studies because they'd be used against them in their own court system. So we have a perfect storm, and we have the most powerful lobby in the world using it. Um, this is a very, very, very dangerous situation, but as I started this out saying, it's just indicative of where we're at in America. Industry has taken over our government. This is not a democracy. You know, you could call this fascism if you go by the original definition of fascism, but it's a takeover of your government by industry. It's no longer for the people. Multiple studies have proven this. 
everyone will say it when it comes to Monsanto, when it comes to oil and gas, when it comes to the industrial, you know, um, weapons complex. But as soon as you say vaccines, like, oh, it can never be, it can never be. When they're the ones on the highest rise of increase in making money as we speak with the most lobbyists in town. So wake up, people. It's the same story. Just because you were taught that this is the greatest invention of the 20th century, um, it would have to evolve to remain the greatest. You, do you really, is there anything else you take that hasn't evolved since 1892 or whenever we really started implementing vaccines? Because that's what you're doing. This is an industry that doesn't have to evolve a product from the dark ages. Uh, and it has just as many problems had you, you know, I mean, mercury, we still have mercury. We were rubbing mercury on babies' gums and they were dying. Didn't know why. We had mercury mad hatter's disease because mercury was in hats. But they still have it in flu shots that they give to pregnant women in a developing fetus. You know, ever big will you do it? I mean, where's the sense in that? Oh, but it's safe mercury. The fact that you would even allow someone to say that to you. Safe mercury. The second most toxic substance on the planet. Obviously, I can go on and on. <laughs> can, can we just talk about that really quickly? Sure. About because I have people try to tell me all the time, like, oh, it's not in there anymore. Can you talk about that? Because I, I, I explained it to them, but I want you to tell this to other listeners that it is still in there. It's Mercury's in nearly there. half of all flu shots. In every flu shot that doesn't come in a singular, like it can come prepackaged in a needle. If it's prepackaged in a needle, it doesn't need the same um, preservative. Mercury is used as a preservative. It's called thimerosal. You can look it up. You can, look, you can ask for the vaccine right before it's given to you, and you should, before you inject anything into your body. I don't care who's standing there or how much you like your doctor. Ask to look at the insert. And if you open it up and it says thimerosal on it, you're about to inject mercury into your body. Uh, that's just the way it is. And the, where it's usually used is what they call these 10, I think they're 10 dose vials, meaning you stick the needle in and you take out, you know, and you get 10 vaccines out of it. Because of the needle going in and out of that jar, it causes a problem where you could contaminate it. That's why they use mercury because it's a great antimicrobial and everything else. So it protects the vaccine from being damaged. But to say it's not there means you are either the most uninformed human being alive or you're lying. They also don't have to label it unless it's over a certain parts per million, right? No, it's it, no, it's labeled. It's if you ask for the label, it's there. Like it's there. I mean, yo, know, I guess you're talking about the super trace amounts that may be found in in other, you know, yeah. vaccines that aren't. Yeah, of course. There's there's thimerosals being used in other parts of the process where you get trace elements crossing over. Yeah, you could get into that. But you know, the the real story I think at the moment is gonna. It's we're we're past it just being mercury. And I think aluminum is actually going to be the biggest smoking gun we've ever seen. There's more and more very, very alarming studies being done all over the world. Uh, Chris Shaw, Exley, you know, um, Yehilda Schoenfeld, these guys are all doing studies looking at aluminum content in vaccines, which is through the roof. And seeing neurological disorders, autism-like uh, reactions in rats and mice and monkeys and you name it and then dissecting even human beings, they're, they're not going to get around it. I'm telling you, this is a house of cards that's going to fall right before your eyes. I think that vaccine, that flu vaccine study in miscarriage was just the beginning. We're going to see more and more of that because people like me and more and more people are starting to finally ask the right questions and we have a microscope on them. We have scientists on our side that can read their studies. Everybody else will say, oh, I don't understand it. And so they just let it go. It's not happening anymore. So they can't fake studies anymore. They're not getting away with fraud anymore. 
and we're watching them and we're demanding the appropriate studies. So it's going to come crashing down. I've seen it. I've read it. I've looked at the studies. I've looked at the foundation. It is cracking. It is, is dissolving. It is built incorrectly. It's built as two articles just three weeks ago said from scientists, Boston University, I forget the other source, both use this term. One in talking about the whooping cough vaccine. The other was an article about the flu shot. They both said, we used assumptions built upon assumptions. And those assumptions are proving to be wrong. That's what I've been saying all along. People say, no, it's science. It's settled science. And now their own scientists are describing it as assumptions upon assumptions, because that's what it is. It's a simple fact that they have been lying to all of us about the strength of their science and the credibility of their science and the thorough nature of their science. Who's been the major influencers in your life up to this point? I mean, I really have been lucky even getting involved in this situation, you know, in this vaccine thing. I've met some really incredible individuals. I was blessed to work on the doctor's television show with great producers and got to meet some of the best surgeons. And I've even gotten to scrub in and be a part of surgeries and shoot them with videos. And I've, you know, a lot of great things in my life. But when I'm asked that question, I have to say that the greatest influences of my life were my parents. Um, I am not one of these people that tries to win a pity party over what my parents did to me. I was really lucky that I had parents that took very seriously raising me. Um, and just a quick sort of story. Um, and why I say that is I was in, I think, third grade. And I was at a public school. And I had made a t-shirt in my art class with like as a batik tie-dye thing. And I wrote in dye the name of my gymnastics team. And I wore it went off to school and I came back for lunch because we could walk to school. My sister and I, she was younger uh, and I wasn't wearing the t-shirt anymore. My mom said, what happened to your t-shirt that you wore to school? And I said, Oh, Craig said it looks stupid and he lives right next to the school. So I borrowed one of his t-shirts and my mom pulled me and my sister. And then ultimately my brother who was young enough out of school and began homeschooling. And she said, I will never have children that make decisions based on what other people think. You're going to think for yourselves. You're going to stand for yourself. You're going to believe what you believe and you're going to do the research. And if you create it, you're going to do it right. I want you to always believe in yourself. And that I don't think is the message that our children get in the public school system today. I think we're being taught to be sheep, to move as a herd. And we're even, they even use the term herd immunity as though being a herd is the way that we're supposed to exist on this planet. I think the opposite. I think we're magnificent human beings capable of just the most. And we haven't even probably scratched the surface of our greatness and what we can do. Uh, and we're being told to not be individuals, to not celebrate what makes us different, to try and be like everyone else and care what everyone else thinks. And it's more important that everybody be the same than one person stand out and do something differently. That's the end of science. That's the end of journalism. That's the end of evolution. And that's what I think we're facing. And so my hands, you know, I, I bow down to my parents who made their job very difficult. Because what they said to me is, never be afraid to question authority. If something inside of you says something is wrong, listen to that over everything else. That makes your job hard as a parent. Because they were the, you know, the, the authority that I would question. But they taught me to critically think. They taught me to ask questions. And they taught me to trust my instincts. 
And if more people trusted their instincts, if more parents that sat there and were about to give a vaccine and they tell me, I have done thousands of these interviews and they tell me, I just knew, I knew something deep down inside of me said, don't do this. And I overrode it. And three days later, my child had started having seizures, lost the ability to walk, lost the ability to talk, and they've never been the same child again. If we listen to ourselves, we would not find ourselves in this position. Yeah, that's, uh, I find that with a lot of my patients, I deal with a lot of cancer patients and I tell them, just go with your gut. Whether it's with me, with somebody else, doesn't matter, just forget everything. What's your gut tell you? And that's because that's the correct answer. Like if we'll overthink stuff all the time and talk, talk ourselves out of the correct response of what's there, but that's so true is just go with your gut. Well, and, and, and to just to, to clarify, because I know there'll be doctors and scientists out there going saying, these idiots are saying, don't think, just move. <laughs> we don't care, though. Yeah. Media, <laughs> don't care. Right. But I think to be clear is your gut starts your journey. When you have a, something that says, don't do this, don't just walk out and do, not do anything else. Now begin your investigation. What is it inside of me that just said I shouldn't get that vaccine? Let me start researching. Let me talk to other people that made that same decision. What science have they found? Where are they at? Don't just, you know, don't just step out and not do something about it. Get involved. Research what's happening in your gut. What was your gut sensing? Because uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm not just saying, oh, I just don't believe in vaccines because I got a feeling about it. No. I've investigated, I've reading journals and medicine and science every day. I mean, luckily I have, you know, I'm allowed to do that and I have a life that allows for that, but as much as you can, you know, when you hear, when something about Monsanto bothers you or this, I hear glyphosate flying around, don't just stop eating food or something because you heard it, start reading. Why glyphosate? What is wrong with this problem? Why did the World Health Organization just rule that it's probably carcinogenic to human beings? Why is there a lawsuit where every farmer using it on 90% of our crops, well, not every, it's an overstatement, but many, many farmers using it on 90% of our crops are getting non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Do you think that that's something you should be ingesting? I mean, we just, you know, this is what I say, and it, and it sort of deals with Donald Trump. And this is probably one of the, the most radical things I have to say. Everyone is terrified that Donald Trump is destroying our regulatory agencies, the EPA and FDA and CDC, all these groups that are supposed to be protecting us. And I say this, before Donald Trump ever even got into office, we had the heads of Exxon running the EPA. We had people from Monsanto running FDA. And we had people from Merck, Sanofi, Aventis running CDC. So you don't have a regulatory agency. In fact, I prefer that they just be blown up because at least then, and only then will you realize no one is looking out for you. You are all on your own. Because you have these fake agencies being run by the, en you know, the, the enemies of health and your life and your interests, but because it says it's a regulatory agency, you're just signing off. And in fact, the opposite side has taken control. The enemy has taken control. So I hope Donald Trump blows them up. I hope he, so that we can rebuild them. Not that we don't need them, but that we can get back to what it was supposed to be. These were supposed to be consumer-based. We're supposed to have consumer advocates in these agencies, looking out for the common man, not, you know, holding up the industry and supporting the industry. We've just found out the FDA has covered for Monsanto and glyphosate for decades, putting us all at risk. So 
So be it. If we lose our regulatory agencies, at least then you will know, you better read every package insert and every label you can find. Yeah. Because no one else is doing it for you. Yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think they should blow up, get taken down, dismantle. Either they'll self-regulate and we'll actually start finding the truth, or maybe a third party will come in and start doing that, or we'll put together some kind of third party system that will actually be able to regulate this and actually look out for the well-being of the of the people right. rather than of the of the financial aspects in there um okay so um if people need to get more educated on this where would you send them tell them to read up more on these things so the best place i think to go is to uh i have a nonprofit now called the informed consent action network we have a website called icandecide.com go to our white pages paper and in that, we've got several things. I have a notice I've sent to Health and Human Services that's 19 pages long. It's backed by the ability to have legal action, which we will use if necessary. But essentially, we lay out 19 pages of the problems we see with the conflict of interest and many of the things I've talked about. And we cite all of the um, journals and the medicine and the things that, that bring us to this conclusion. We have a more in-depth white paper that even lays out more of the issues as I've spoken of them, but they're not just my opinion. They have references to actual published medicine journals, things like that. I think it's a great place to start because you can thoroughly get involved and then see where it takes you from there and, and expand your search. Um, so I can decide, uh, com is, a, is, a, is something that we've worked really hard and we're going to continue. It's just started. We just got it up a couple of weeks, but it's got great information on it. You can also, um, you know, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I have a show every Thursday called High Wire Talk. Uh, you can find it on Facebook or YouTube. Um, and there I interview people like yourselves and other great, great uh, people and scientists and, and see what has to happen there. Um, and, you know, if you don't trust me or you're like, oh, that doesn't sound right, then what I say is start here. Start with the vaccine insert itself. Next time you go in for a vaccine, please just say, I would like to see the inserts, not the, 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 the VIS, whatever they call it, the sheet they hand you that says there may be bruising and swelling at the site. No, that's, that's bull crap. That's been written by their ad agency. They actually, by law, have to write all of the problems with the vaccine, and you only find that on the insert, and it's your right as an American, your right for informed consent, which comes from the Nuremberg trials, where after Nazi Germany, we said we can no longer ever use coercion or force any medical practice or injection on any human being in a free country. So they can't do it. They have to hand you that insert. Take it home. You can take another day. You're not going to die of some disease overnight. Take them home and read them and look at the ingredients. Read the ingredients list. Read all of the adverse events, which you will find include paralysis and death and ingredients that include Thimerosal, mercury, aluminum, a known neurotoxin, aborted fetal tissue, polysorbate 80. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. If that doesn't alarm you and you're cool with that there, then by all means, I want people to know I'm not here to take away your vaccines. I'm here to help you learn to ask the right question and decide whether you think they're a good idea or not. 
And make sure you have a 10x uh, magnifying glass to read that page. Yeah, it's pretty small. It's pretty small. Actually, truth, is, truth is, you can actually pull every one of them up online from the CDC's website. You can look up insert for MMRV or whatever it is you're going to take, and it's right there online. But some people still don't trust that. They want to have the paper in their hands so you can ask your doctor. But it's available online, and you can then zoom in and not have to put on the readers. Well, Dell, thank you. I mean, I can't believe we're at an hour right now, so I'm gonna have to break this up into two shows, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, but thank you. I'm a very appreciative of you, all that you do. I'm grateful for you being able to get this word out, being a voice where a lot of people are scared um, and have been, uh, I'm sure you've been threatened uh, several times as it relates to this in different ways. And we could probably have a whole show just on that alone, but I'd rather not. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we always say when we're on the road, like, don't you, aren't you afraid for your life? It's like only when people ask. <laughs> so, okay. I just, I just, I just avoid the, the, the thought. So, but uh, thank you again. I appreciate everything you do. I'd love to have you on sometime in the future. If there's another topic we, we could talk about, um, I'd really like to get into genetically modified because uh, mm. that, uh, that, uh, interview you had with uh jeffrey smith yeah it was a donna farmer yeah on the doctors and my understanding is they're actually going to do a follow-up on the doctors people should keep posting for that i mean there's some things i disagree with but i did get to do some great shows and i think that they've actually they're going to do a follow-up because there was a huge document dump by monsanto that shows that donna farmer actually in her emails admits to things that she lied about on the doctors so i think they're going to follow up on that that'll be worth checking out Oh, that'll be cool. That'd be really cool. So uh, how can people follow you besides Facebook? What's so, so yeah, Facebook at Dell Bigtree, D-E-L-B-I-G-T-R-E-E. -E. Uh, my show is High Wire Talk. And then, of course, there's our website, ICanDecide.com. Uh, or just keep your eyes peeled and get involved with your local, you know, um, health freedom groups in your states because you're fighting these laws I'm talking about. And I visit a lot when people are going to their state capitals. I oftentimes show up and we'll be at a rally and speak there and, and go in and talk to politicians myself. So I'm all over the place. I'm flying everywhere. But follow my Facebook, at Dell Bigtree uh, or at High Wire Talk. It's the best way to see what I'm doing. Thanks again, Dell. All right. Great. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Bye-bye.